Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How's it going? How you doing? All right. So last week we talked about active listening. This week we're going to talk about effective communication. As I shared last week, this is a program that I created for the Tops Corporation. I did it for them last fall up in Pennsylvania called What Did You Just Say? Tools for Active Listening and Effective Communication. There's four steps in the communication process that I, I think are fascinating because at any point in that process, something can go wrong. So there's the words you speak, right? So the words that come out of your mouth, what you mean by those words, which are sometimes two very different things. The words the listener hears, which can be affected by, we talked about this last week, some of the noise. It can be affected by um, um, language differences. It could be a, a dialects, uh, all of those things. So then the words the listener hears, and then finally what the listener makes those words mean. So again, at any point in that conversation, there can be a breakdown. I love this quote from George Bernard Shaw. The biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. I think that's so true. I wanted to start this program with eight basic premises of communication. Number one, you are always communicating, even if you're not saying anything. Nonverbal communication. The fact that you're not speaking can say volume sometimes. So you're always communicating in one way or another. The next one is everything you say counts. There are no second attempts. You can't edit what you say, and you can't delete what you say. So it all matters. Next, your, when your words leave your mouth, you have no control over how they're going to be interpreted. I think that one's a really important one to remember. You know, when we think about the flip side of active listening is effective communication, you have to have something effective to communicate or something to communicate effectively the listener then, the responsibility is on them. So there's only so much that you can do as the speaker to make sure that that message is heard. The onus then becomes on the listener. Listeners are constantly constructing or storytelling. They're kind of interpreting what you say. So if you heard last week's podcast, there was the steps to active listening. There was the understand process where you kind of make meaning out of what is being said. Listeners are filtering this through what has happened to them recently, their life story, their beliefs about you, their beliefs about your subject. There's all kinds of sort of filters that the listener is putting your words through. And there's nothing you can do about that beyond a certain point. Next, your words are transformed or reorganized to fit into the listener's personal story or preconceived idea of you and or similar situations. I don't know about you. There are people that I have known that it really doesn't matter what they say. I have such a negative bias against them that I don't listen to their words or I'm hypercritical of their words or I'm focused on their sentence structure rather than the meaning they're trying to make. Conversely, there are people that I adore and they could really botch it up and I would give them the benefit of the doubt and would work very hard to understand what they were trying to tell me, even if they weren't doing a very good job of telling. There will always be more than one story. Each listener will create his or her own. So getting back to that kind of meaning making that every listener is doing, 
you know, if you're speaking to a group of people, they're all interpreting your message in a different way and they're all walking away from it with a different meaning because again, they all have their own unique filter. The story that is created from your communication determines the meaning, not what you actually say. How many times have you experienced this? I, I can count probably there's thousands of times that this has happened, that I have said something and the story comes back to me and it was nothing like what I said. It was nothing like what I said because it went through that filter. They made meaning out of it that was not what I intended at all. It is the story, not what you say, that will be remembered, passed on, and communicated to others. One of the games that we, we did in this workshop that I did with the Tops Corporation was the game, the telephone game, right? So we started at the beginning of the line. I said something to the person in the front of the line. We got to the end of the line. It was completely different. That meaning making is what they will remember, not what you actually said. I can think back to so many instances where I've had speakers that I've listened to, and I couldn't tell you pretty much any word that came out of their mouth, but I remember the impression that they made, the feeling that I got from their program. The next thing I want to talk about is the competing challenges of being succinct and being specific and how to kind of find that middle ground. So the, the, the idea of being succinct is that you are saying what you need to say in as few words as possible. Specificity is giving the listener enough information to do the thing or get the knowledge or whatever it is that you're telling them. So they are kind of at odds. On one hand, we want to speak and say as little as possible. And on the other hand, we want to make sure we say enough. There are certainly personality implications here. And I've talked about the Myers-Briggs. In fact, one of the sessions that I'm going to do later this month is specifically on the Myers-Briggs. The implication here is sensing versus intuition, which is how you take in information. Sensors like the details, so they want a lot more information than the intuitives do. They want specifics, they want details, they want steps. And they won't be able to start the project or do the thing or get the knowledge, whatever it is, until they have all those details. It's like they stand at the, at the starting line and they can't run the race until they have a whole lot of information. Intuitives want the big picture and they can't really process all those details at the outset. It is too much information for them and they get lost in it. They want the big idea and then they want the ability to go off, try the thing, do the whatever it is, come back if they have questions as they go, but they really don't know what their questions are until they dive in and try it. They're very experiential in that way. So as you can imagine, the intuitives are going to be more focused on the succinctness of your conversation. The sensors are going to be more interested in the specificity of your conversation. So real challenge if you're speaking to a group of people because they are going to be a mixture of sensors and intuitives and how do you find that balance? And there's no one right answer to this, but I want to talk about the benefits of speaking succinctly, specifically. So number one, your message will be clearer if you are succinct. There's less room for misinterpretation, right? So there's not a lot of mental extra, extraneous information going on there. You're making very sure that you're only conveying what they need to know. 
you're also providing bite-sized bits of information that are easier to digest. So if you think about the brain and you know having to attend to information and kind of decipher out, make meaning out of it, maybe respond to it, remember that which is important, weed out the rest, you're giving them a much more bite-sized bit of information with which to do that effectively. The next thing is you're allowing the listener to make the necessary mental connections more easily. So if you're conveying information, they, they're kind of, um, I always think of it as like file cabinets up in your brain, right? So they're getting this information and the sensors and the intuitives are going to go about this different, but they both need to kind of put that information into a file cabinet up there. And by giving them those bite-sized bits of very succinct information, they can do that more easily. Next, it's going to save time and mental energy for both parties, right? So if you can say it in five minutes instead of 20 minutes, you're saving your energy, you're saving your time, you're saving the listener's time and energy as well. And then finally, there's less chance that people will mentally go elsewhere. <laughs> I listened to a, a comedian at a conference one time, and he talked about uh, he he would mentally go to Pittsburgh is what he would say. And so he would he would just tell on himself when he got back and say, I don't know what you just said. I was I went off to Pittsburgh for a little while. I'm back. But there is that chance. And I know I've caught myself when people go on and on, especially as an intuitive, because I, I can't process all that information. So if they start getting down in the weeds with the details, I am quick to zone out. The flip side then is speaking with specificity. So what are those benefits? Well, first of all, you're giving the listener enough information to understand exactly what you mean, right? So you're minimizing misunderstanding. So at the one hand, with succinctness, you're being succinct so they don't misinterpret the message. At the other hand, you're giving them enough information so that they don't misinterpret or misunderstand you. Next, you're allowing the listener to create a mental picture of what you're saying. I got feedback from someone I met for the first time this week. I had lunch with her, and she said, I just love how you paint pictures with words. She said, I'm such a visual person and I can really picture what you're saying. So when you speak with specificity, use the sort of best fit words for the situation. Speak in um, some degree of detail. Then you're allowing the listener to create that mental picture. The next thing that happens is it increases the likelihood that you will get valuable feedback. I saw this recently on a post on Facebook. Someone asks something that was very vague, right? And no one, I just sort of watched it for a little while because we really didn't know what they wanted. And someone, I think maybe the moderator of the group finally spoke up and said, could you give us more information so we can help you? So they didn't give enough information. There was not enough specificity that anyone knew how to provide them help because we didn't know what they needed. So I've given you over the last two weeks some snippets of information about how to listen, how to speak more effectively. I would recommend, just as I did last week in creating a specific goal for active listening, to create a specific goal for effective communication. When I spoke about this, did you find that probably your errors are more on the succinct side or on the specificity side? I know that for me, it is often on the specificity side because I'm an intuitive. I tend not to want to go in the weeds. And I notice, and of course, when you speak, you can't go back and edit that. But certainly in my writing, I've gone back and read something that I've read and realized I did not finish the thought because in my head, the thought was clear to me. And then when I looked at it with fresh eyes, I realized I didn't really tell them what they needed to know. Do you find that your, your problem is that you tend to 
say too much and not get down to the point. I uh, am in a mastermind. I do monthly masterminds with a women's group that I belong to, and I'm always the table kind of host. And I find myself with almost everybody at my table saying, what is your question? They have two minutes, I think, to tell us what they want help with, and then we all go around the table and give them our, our assistance. And invariably, the other people at the table, when the two minutes is up, they've just been telling their story. They haven't gotten to their question. So we don't know how to help them. And I always think about the fact that you never learn anything when you're talking. <laughs> so the sooner that that person who wants our help says their question and is done and listens to the rest of us, the more help that they're going to get. If all they do is tell us their story, then all they're doing is telling us their story. There is no help and there's no time to give them help. As always, I want to be your career coach. So you can look in the show notes, get the link to my calendar. And what we do in that call is we talk about where you're at now, where you want to be in the next 12 months. What are what have you done already, if anything, to get there? And then I prescribe for you. I create a prescription based on the information that you've given me of what I think serves you best. I'm not trying to sell you on a package with me. I am trying to sell you on yourself and on getting help and support in achieving your career goals. If that's with me and we think it's a good fit to work with together, I'm going to tell you that. But if I don't, you're going to have great information to go forward and get that help from someone. So check out the show notes, get that link and uh, and set up an appointment with me. Find me on social. Uh, Lisa Edwards at LinkedIn.com. Uh, make sure you spell my name right. L-E-S-A. Uh, Facebook is Exclusive Career Coaching. And you can find me on Instagram at Lisa.Edwards. See you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.